Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 43rd episode of the Truth Island podcast. I am joined once again with Dallas, and the last time we spoke, we mentioned a scenario in which a wife leaves her dying husband. While many people might jump and judge this as a callous move, there might have been a lot of unknown variables and factors that may have led to her decision. Perhaps that wife found out that she had been completely cut out of her husband's will after 15 years of dedicated marriage. Perhaps some other deathbed skeletons emerged that she had been unaware of. It could also be that the situation at hand was simply too dire and she was perhaps incapable of dealing with the stark reality that lurked before her. There are many rules that govern when and when it is not acceptable to leave others, with some feeling that marriage is a sacred pact that ends in death do us part. While a modern interpretation might allow for considerable changes in character and circumstances of being a determiner of whether we have to stick around for the funeral. For example, what exactly is it that ties us to other people? Are we chained to our families, friends that have been there for us in the past? Must we always love that son or daughter who fails us time and time and time again? When exactly does our free will to move on with our lives kick in from our obligation to help those who need us most? Basically, the question I want to present to you, Dallas, is it ever okay to abandon people? That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot to take in, and it was very, uh, yeah, brought so much to life for me from experience. And you starting to starting off talking about <clears throat> marriage and this woman and the various scenarios that she might discover that that might lead her to you know to a- abandon him, as you put it. And, kind of brought me back to, and it's always good to speak from one's own experience to my own marriage, where I was with my uh, ex-wife for 17 years. And wow. yeah, and we were living together and I'd say extremely uh, content and happy for the first 10, let's, let's call it. And then the last seven was a period of time where we, we slowly started to chip away at each other in negative ways and a darkness pervaded the marriage to the point where it was doing neither of us any good to stay in it and we eventually ended it i i chose to uh walk away first and then she eventually agreed it was the best thing to do but um it was a very critical point of time in my life i was in my 40s and am i going to go on the next 20, 30 years till death do us part? Or am I going to make a change? And I chose to make that change. And I told her at the time, uh, you're going to find somebody who's going to be able to meet your needs and give you everything that you're looking for that I'm not providing for you. Because I was admittedly honest about that, uh, that I wasn't capable of doing that at the time. And she didn't like that. <laughs> Understandably, that that doesn't you know go over too well when you're with somebody for 17 years. But I'll I'll just tell you quickly. Uh, she eventually met a man, moved in with that man, 
and then got married to him and she's living very happy and contented today. So I want to say I was a little prophetic there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I definitely have some questions. Would you say that radically changed after the 10th year of marriage? Or was this something that was kind of like creeping up on the horizon? Yeah, it was very specific to our attempts to have a child. Okay. Uh, we, we, she got pregnant together. We were planning for a family. And she un- unfortunately had a miscarriage. That was very traumatic to the both of us, but particularly for her. And that started in motion several years of uh, trying to have, uh, you know, get subsequently pregnant again Mm. and uh, having another failed attempt uh, miscarriage. And it just started to, like I said, bring this darkness in the marriage that neither of us could really figure out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that. That seems like a very um, rough thing. Um, g- given those circumstances, did you at all feel guilt in the situation, or, or how did you feel? Because I'm, I'm wondering, yes. like, yeah, because it's something where the dynamic in our marriage was that she was seven years older, so biologically, she was in her early forties, and as you probably know, it becomes hard for a woman to produce eggs at that point in time and to carry a child to term. So I felt extremely guilty that I was making this effort to, to have a baby placing any blame on her for where she was biologically in her life. She had no control over, over how old she was and uh, things of that nature having to do with herself biologically. So I, I did carry guilt about placing blame um, on her, if that makes any sense. Now, it just to be fair to you, it wasn't necessarily that, you know, you couldn't have kids that made you leave. It was just the darkness of, of, the, of the marriage at that point that made you just decide you had enough. Yeah, because what happened for, for me was I had a crisis of faith, of belief in something that was taking care of us. To put it simply, if if God was going to allow, you know, this to happen to us, that's just how I perceived it at that time. Then there really was no meaning in life, and that made me kind of take it out on her, which was not necessarily the right thing to do. But I'm human, sure. And for her as well, she uh, was actually more of a religious person who who completely lost faith in her own god at that time and so she was uh striking out at me in ways that uh, kind of alienate alienated me and so we were each taking it out upon the other and it was, it was unfortunate right because no one neither of us was at fault it's easy, like when we leave or vacate a marriage or some kind of sustained relationship, if the other party is clearly at fault, like let's just say you found her with another man, then it, there's no guilt involved in this situation. It's just like, okay, you were with another man. I have every right to kind of vacate this situation and leave. But this is like an example where there's a gloomy circumstance and that's creating gloom. I want to kind of think of it this way because. Would you say that in some ways, Dallas, you were committing maybe a merciful act, both 
upon yourself and on your wife? Yeah, yeah, it definitely was a form of um, mercy, as you put it, because it allowed, in the short term, it felt like a death, as, as it would for any couple that's been together for that long a duration. Uh, 17 years. Yeah. There's a, man, there's no. a, you're, you were basically joined at the hip at, at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Almost physically and metaphorically, obviously. But, but so there's a death uh, feeling that, that just occurs uh, no matter what. But like I said, over, I, I, you know, honestly, it took about a year, a year and a half for me to personally kind of fully recover and, and restabilize in my own life. But it was an act of mercy because it was uh, something where if we had gone on and tried to su sustain something that was unsustainable, misery was in store for us for the next five, 10, however long we might've like tried to push it. Yes. I think that's really important for our listeners to hear because typically when we think of one person leaving another, we think of that person like jumping into a convertible and driving off to Disney World and just having <laughs> lots and lots and lots of fun. But they also don't consider that that person is also doing something that's incredibly difficult for themselves, right? Because like when you initially left your wife for that first year, I'm sure you were still in a really dark place, right? Like you didn't jump in a convertible and travel the world and have fun. Like, I Yes, yes. It was a period of um, kind of in some ways feeling like I was in the wilderness because I had to just reinvent myself. And in some ways, that's that's a beautiful process, right? To rediscover yourself in a new way but it's also it for me it didn't come without a tremendous amount of pain and loss and grief and i won't get into the nitty-gritty details but i had an incredible bout of insomnia and i don't know if any of our listeners or you has ever dealt with insomnia where you each of us has probably encountered that at one point in time but for me it lasted for like I said, a year, year and a half it was a very difficult period of time. This this decision had a toll on your sleep, and it definitely took like an emotional toll. Yeah. This is something that I, one other question I want to ask you, and this is a question that I was talking to someone else about, is this idea of cold turkey. So when you first left your wife, were you cold turkey from her, or were you still texting or an occasional phone call just to see how each other were doing? The, the marriage uh, ended by a process of um, me staying in the apartment. Uh, she stayed in her in the bedroom and I slept on the couch and that lasted for about a month or two. So that was actually a blessing in disguise mm. because even though we were physically separated, obviously we would see each other from time to time and we knew the marriage was ending. It was a lot better than if like you just, just described, cold turkey, never speaking to that person again. But when I actually physically went to another apartment, it did feel like a sense of withdrawal, right? Like mm. this person is no longer there and you from time to time, you know, have inclinations to contact that person. I think that's just human nature. You know, fortunately, I was in a place where I wanted to, like I said, reinvent myself and I 
took it upon myself to surround myself with people that were, you know, supportive in, in that environment, friends, and uh, I want to say family, but family actually, if I were real honest, was kind of a, an antagonistic force at that time. They were very upset that I was leaving the marriage. <clears throat> they had formed a bond with my ex-wife and they uh, were looking to see that I preserved that, that relationship. So they, they felt betrayed on some level, which, which is something that you and I both spoke about. You know, family can be a very, you know, tough, tough road to navigate. You know, that's that's a very interesting dynamic because you're on one hand making one of the most difficult choices of your life and, and leaving someone you love dearly. And now your family is leaving you and they're in a sense kind of abandoning you. And, and we can sort of debate whether that's justified or unjustified, but it's kind of just making the pain for you that much worse. And I think I think the, the, the difference is, is that in the case of your family, it's like, you're not actively making their life miserable, right? Like you see maybe your family once a week, once every other week, depending on if they live in the same state as you. So it's not, that's not like the same rules of marriage where you kind of have to deal with this person on a, on a daily basis. I want to also touch upon this, like living together for two months after the marriage ended. Cause I yeah. think that a lot of people, um, when they initially break up there, there seems to be this habit of still having, like still seeing each other, still talking to one another. And mm. I feel like people can't process like the hurt until it's 100% like you rip the bandaid off. I feel like if you're in that purgatory limbo state, you right. aren't really healing. You, you aren't going, you one, aren't feeling the full brunt of the pain of the separation. And two, right. you're sort of delaying the, uh, the healing process. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would tend to agree with that. It doesn't allow for the growth, you know, that, that you need if you're trying to claw and scratch and grab and hold on to that, that relationship that's either dead or in the process of dying. And we took a walk one day, my ex-wife and I, to the <clears throat> West Side Highway. We were living in Manhattan. And there's, you know, obviously the, the park area that runs along the river there in the Hudson River. And we sat in the grass and we looked at one another and we basically, at that moment, she kind of said to me, kind of like, now I'm ready to really say goodbye. Mm. And that was a profound moment for both of us because we were able to, to do that in a way where we both had great esteem for one another and and yet it was it was from that moment on we had to rip the band-aid off and um that was a very pivotal moment i i love i love your wife's words and i i feel like that i think when these breakups happen it's really important to to go with it with a a caring and loving word or some something that shows like you know, I'm hurt by what, by what you did, or I'm hurt about this situation, but I don't hate you. And I think, I think that's a very important, I think it's really important to get that right. And that's kind of, I, I think that hiding behind like a text message breakup or, or, or Facebook, <laughs> or, you know, I, I think that I, no, I really think that especially when you've invested years into something, you have to go into a public space or you have to go into some 
there has to be, you know, and I think that's the perfect, like I've been along that wet, the West side uh, highway river all the time. That's a perfect place because it, it's out in the public, but you probably found like a patch of grass that was just you and her and no one was really listening to what was going on. And, and that that's important. I think, I think you owe it to that person to give them five, six, seven, eight hours, whatever it is that it takes to, to, to make a clean break from it. Let's fast forward. You have this, this year that's extremely rough. Do you think that after a year of separation, maybe two years of separation, what do you think is the right amount of time of separation where you can then not get back into that other person's life, but you can sort of take like a little sneak peek and be like, oh, great, glad that you're doing okay. Or is that something that maybe should be avoided altogether? Yeah, I think, I think I'm in favor of finding that right moment in time to send an email or, or a text or a call and leave a message happened for us i mean she would stay in in touch periodically and then at a, it was not too long after for her she was uh, found this man that she's married to today that was actually helpful because there wasn't it wasn't the idea of oh we're getting back in touch with one another in the hopes that we might get back together again you know it was just more out of support and friendship and acknowledgement for all the years of, of being really extreme friends with one another, we really value, valued each other and still do today, you know? I think, I think that may, maybe it's not, I, I, I like what you're saying here, that maybe it's not so much like I have to wait two years or something, but maybe you should just wait until you have a general, maybe through the grapevine, you find out, okay, I'm in a really strong place right now and she's in a really strong place right now. I right. think we can make this work and may, that could be two years or it could also be five years or it could be never, you know, and I think that's also a part of the equation. Yeah. And uh, really quick, I would want to speak about my father was very ill. He ended up passing away about uh, five years ago mm. and he lived a long and happy life. So I want to put that out there. He was 87 years old and was an actor for many years in theater and film and TV and everything I have in me as an artist, uh, you know, came from him and his spirit. And so it was, it was a, a beautiful thing actually honor his life at the end. And what happened was my ex-wife came to the, uh, the funeral uh, service that we held for my father in an old theater, a Shakespearean theater. And it was a wonderful way to, I think it was like the first time I saw her since that that day we parted uh, on the West Side Highway, or or we'd only seen each other a couple of times since then. But she came to that service for my father uh, with her husband, and I thought that was a very powerful show of support that she gave to me because I really appreciated it, and she was really close to my father, extremely close. Um, but that she came with her, her husband was also a, uh, you know, signal of like, again, that this is friendship and this is support and not about, you know, is, is, is there going to be some kind of way of us resurrecting our, our romance with one another? And it's also important yeah. that 
it's also not a game of one-upsmanship. Like, oh, I have this much better man or I have this much better wife in my life. It's really, you both, and this is like a really difficult balance to make where you're showing up with another partner, but it's out of mutual respect for one another that this is happening. It's not out of like, I managed to grab this guy who's a thousand times better than you sort of back and forth. I'm happy, you're happy, I'm happy for all of us. Happy for all of us. I mean, the only thing I'll say is when I first met her ex, uh, I'm sorry, when I first met her new husband, I'm the ex, uh, (laughs) he uh, described to, she gave me his name and I I won't say his name, but uh, I was expecting to meet somebody who was not who I ended up meeting. Let's just put it this way. He kind of reminded me of a younger Richard Gere. So. I was a little bit, uh, you know, taken aback that uh, she married someone so handsome. It was an an upgrade. But but at the same time, it it could make you feel better. Like, look at you. You, you, Look where you've gone in the world, right? So I I think that that can help, like, get rid of any last traces of guilt. Like, you're you're in a much better place right now. Yes. Yeah, and I just absolutely want to emphatically say that she's so much uh, in a happier and in a better place and for me i've gone on to do amazing things with my life that i really attribute to to making that decision uh it's been that was back in 2010 so it was uh, 10 years ago yeah yeah time time has that magical way right you know i think that was a beautiful and inspirational story and if there's people out there who are wondering if they should get a divorce or something i I think this can really help them because i I think that seeing this as a merciful act is a very beautiful kind of way to 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 sort of frame this issue i want to kind of turn down a a dark tunnel a little bit here Mm -hmm. and going back to our scenario with the wife and the husband in the hospital what about in the cases of terminal illnesses or, or something or, or some something that, because I think in your wife's case, it, it wasn't the forces of nature that drove you apart. It was her uh, disposition. Like she had a, a, at the time a very negative disposition or, or dark disposition. Right. So I'm wondering in the cases when there's like an unforeseen circumstances that changes things or, or how, how much are you obligated to kind of stay? Yeah, I... I really think that it does, in my opinion, it varies from circumstance to circumstance. So you, you, that is a place where it really gets into the, the details of your particular relationship with that person. I haven't had someone who's terminally ill who I've had to, yeah. let's just put it bluntly, like turn my back on. I haven't had that scenario, but I will say this. My mother was married to my, my father, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, but no, they were together. And when I tell you that they were two of the most polar opposite people, that, could, a state, that statement couldn't be more true. They loved each other and got married and you know, by the time I was eight years old, they were divorced and it was an, a bitter divorce. And throughout the rest of the, the time that we were growing up, my brother and myself, they fought and would argue from afar because he lived in a different house by that point. 
still in the same town. And when it came time to my father uh, passing away that I described to you earlier, five years ago, my mother would not go to the hospital to visit him hmm. before, he, before he passed away. And that what you were touching on reminded me of that circumstance and how her bitterness and her resentment, I'm talking 30, 40 years old, you know, this, sure. this resentment that she held on to was enough to keep her away from his bedside in, in the, just to say goodbye to somebody that you were, you made two kids with. And so it was, it, I didn't understand it at the time and I still have a hard time understanding it now, but that was her position. I, I like the, the point that you're mentioning here. And in, you know, in, in service to your mother, I think that she did express her, you know, distaste for the marriage early on and, and they did get a divorce. So, you know, it was kind of known, it was out there, even when your father was in good health, it was known, like, I have a problem with this man. And then when she decided not to come to the hospital and visit him, they already had separated for a number of years. So I think, I, I think, I think like you're, you're onto something there. I think that with that case, with the scenario that we described earlier with the wife and the husband, I think if that wife had said, you know, I've really fallen out of, uh, you know, out of love with this man five years before he ended up in the hospital or six years or, you know, even like, a, even just while he was healthy and then she decided to separate, people would be like, okay, totally cool. You owe nothing to this man because for he's not treating you right or you don't love him anymore, blah, blah, blah. I think when someone, when you're married to somebody and they fall under distress and you haven't vocalized like it just people point to it and say gee whiz it's awfully convenient for you now to kind of uh want to back out of this thing yeah I, I really see what you're saying now when when it's a scenario where the leaving of the person happens to be out of the blue and blindsided it can really be seen as distasteful right right yes because um there has been no prior communication to that point that there was any upset or problems or to the extent where you you wanted to leave that person and if that is not voiced until the time that the person let's say is diagnosed with cancer or whatever you know disease it might be uh that can be a very kind of troubling circumstance. All of these situations are very situational, right? But it's just, it's so hard to imagine that like the second somebody is diagnosed with something, that's the moment you realize that they were a jerk all along. I, I think that's just a very hard leap of faith to, to make for most people, but it, it's something that is floating out there and I don't really have a clear answer to it. I wanna also tackle this issue with the terminal illness. Let's just say everything is really wonderful in this marriage and there is no like secret resentment or secret will or, you know, mistress on the side kind of situation. And these two people truly love each other. However, the nature of this illness lasts for like five, 10, 15, you know, like, like it, it's a, um, I forget that, that um, Stephen King novel where the guy goes into a coma for like five or six years and then he wakes up and his wife is gone and remarried, you know, I, I think it was Deadpool maybe, I, I forgot the name of it, but anyways, um, so I'm, I'm thinking in my head, 
is there also like a time limit that that one spouse owes the other in in, in an event where they're incapacitated or you know in, in some kind of vegetative state i'm wondering if, if that is at all acceptable yeah i i just think it again it's up to the individual circumstance and and person and how you feel connected to that individual i remember when i was i'd left my marriage and i was in a new apartment and i was talking to a woman that i felt incredible feelings for and she's half a world away she's in can right in france and uh I was telling her about the insomnia that I was experiencing after leaving my wife. And she said, and I said something about not having that body next to me. I can't sleep. Mm. And she said, it's not a body, it's a soul. And regardless of whether you believe we have souls or not, I understood in that moment what she was saying. She's like, you're not just with the, the physical person, you're with them on some metaphysical journey. So for some people, that's a very, very strong and intense relationship that runs deep. And for other people, maybe not so much. And, or there's a limit to it, as you said. And I, I'm not here to place judgment at all, but everybody has to kind of find within themselves where that boundary is. Hmm. I think that that's, I, I mean, uh, God bless that woman. That is really, really deep. Like, <laughs> um, th- th- yeah, I mean, wow. This idea that we are attached to the soul and not necessarily the body. And I think, I think that's something like, you know, when I was younger, Dallas, that's something I didn't understand at all. Like, cause I think, I think, especially when we're young, we're very, we're extremely vain creatures right like we we are very like we want to make sure that we look good in jeans or whatever it is and make sure our partners but i think as you get older you really start looking at a person's soul and hence the word soul mate so there you go yeah right and then and and i i think that if you are judging that relationship by how intertwined your souls are then the the corporeal or, or or the body isn't playing such a, you know, such a difference. Now, look, it's easy for me to, like, I haven't been in that situation either, Dallas. So it's easy for me to just be like, yep, you know, if our souls were aligned, I would just do it. I don't, you know, it's, this is not a a question that I I can answer right now. And hopefully I, I will never have to answer that question. But that rationality can allow every marriage to survive, but I think it might make you fight a little harder. If you're really looking at it in, in terms of, is my soul still aligned with this woman or with this man, then it's going to make you kind of stay in the game a bit longer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was really important for you to say, because we're human beings living in a, a vast universe and we come across relationships, some last for you know and and they touch us deeply but how often does that really come along yeah and when it does as as you as you grow older as i grow older i'm over i'm over 50 let's put it this way i'm not <laughs> you look I'm not you 60, look very young my 50. friend like, oh, okay. you look, <laughs> i know people can't see you but yeah, i'm looking at right. you <laughs> all right and i'll take it i uh 
but you get older and you realize that, yeah, your opportunities to, whether it's that soulmate or whether it's a friendship or, you know, that family member who, you know, am I going to make amends here, you know, with this person or try to salvage that relationship? Because there aren't really that many more years left when you think about it. And I have a brother and we're on good terms and he has a family and I love my nieces and nephews and his wife, but it's not the easiest relationship where we get along like gangbusters. I have to work at it. And there's still some things that stand in the way of us being closer than maybe we could if, uh, if I made an effort or if he made an effort. Yes, yes. And I want to touch upon one last thing before we change topic. Do you think that if that person who's terminally ill is still conscious, do you think there's also some responsibility on them to gauge the happiness of their partner and say, listen, I'm not getting out of this bed. You go on, you go live a life, you go start a family, you go do what you need to do. Do you think that that's also a part of the love equation where the, the, the person that's you know lying in that bed, if, if they are conscious and in the right state of mind, they also have a responsibility to kind of see if their loved one is happy or suffering? I do. I, I really do. And I would hope that if I were in that position, terminally ill, let's say, or in and out of a consciousness, and I could say to my my wife or loved one, you know, just go, be happy, find love in your life. Um, I hope that, that I would do that. Uh, you see in movies, right, where that, you know, you see that scenario play out and the person who's there on the other end doesn't want to give up their their soulmate who they're so attached to and in in my scenario in, in the movie that i uh fashioned in my own head i would uh make sure that that person uh pays heed to that and and goes to live a, a beautiful happy existence because really the the guilt that we carry is in our own hearts right at the end of the day we place more guilt than maybe there should be placed upon us to begin with yeah yeah absolutely and i i think that i think in the ideal soulmate you know pairing I think that the person in the bed should be like, no, you go off, you go have fun. And then the person taking care of that person is like, no, 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 I'm going to stay. I want to be here. I want to be here. And I think, I think if you had that kind of like interplay, then that, that is like the most bedrock solid foundation of, of a marriage or a relationship. Who knows how many of us could even like live up to that. But like, that's that that's like uh, iconic like religious imagery up there in the clouds for us to all 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 gaze upon and and who knows who knows how many of us could actually stomach this okay moving on let's just think a little bit about family and our obligation do you think that family in general has a they they should be afforded more allowances like just just by virtue of us having the same blood I, I automatically afford you more allowances before I abandon you or leave you. Yeah, I do think there's obviously, for me, there's obviously more of a reason to try to make things work with family uh, than not, because 
of the the tie of not only blood but all the time that you spent developing who you are as a person can be attributed to the family for better and for worse you know because we always pick up uh, very the positive traits of our caretakers and siblings and and uh, in some cases unfortunately the negative ones too right yeah can, can travel with us and we're always trying to emphasize and maximize the positive ones and and reduce the negative ones but um, when it comes to family and trying to be that that person that uh, cares and shows empathy and compassion uh, I think it's an important thing to do I know that I've been on the receiving end of it and the giving end of it uh, with my family but it has come at times not so easily yeah yeah. yeah, I think I, I think that yes, with family, you do have to have a much longer rope. I, I, I hear you on this, you know, I think, though, that it's important to have like lines in the sand. And I, I think that this mm. this is really like you can have like, yes, if you're family, you have that longer rope, that longer of like you do get to get away with more things than you're at your average bear out there, you know, that you just met in Manhattan or something. Right. Like, but yeah. I think it's important because family can take you for granted if you don't have any lines in the sand. And I think that once they see, oh, wait a minute, there are, there is, there are no, there are points of no return that can actually kind of strengthen those uh, familiar, you know, those family ties. Yeah. That is something that I've experienced time and again with my mother and my, my stepfather and my brother who really you know, now are the the people that are left, so to speak, that I grew up with. There's this place of uh, feeling at times great uh, guilt for not having done more or been a better son or a better brother. And then there's times where I feel like the lines in the sand need to be drawn mm. to retain integrity and to communicate that I will not be taken advantage of and I will not, uh, whether it's belittled or shamed or any of these kind of negative emotional attachments that can be, uh, try to be placed on you. I, I love that word that you just used, integrity. The integrity of the relationship is at stake. And I think that the, you know, sometimes I think that the only reason that your friends respect you is because they know, they know there is a line in the sand and they know that if they push too far, you're going to oh, screw you, buddy. I'm done. With you. I'm not picking up the phone when you call anymore. They know that. And that actually creates integrity in those relationships. It, it creates integrity that your friends know that if, if I, if I borrow $800 from Dallas and don't pay him back, that that there's no integrity in that relationship anymore. Dallas is gone, and I think mm -hmm. I think having that integrity with family is is super important. And actually, it'll make these family relationships richer because now they respect you and you respect them. Because you know, on the on the receiving end of this, if somebody's constantly taking advantage, even if they're family, you're losing respect for them as a basic human being. Wow. Yeah. The uh, integrity is is uh the watchword and respect that comes from that 
there's there's no better gauge for a relationship that I've found. I'm experiencing it right now, uh, or I should say on Tuesday, it was my brother and my mother's birthday. So it was really exciting. The, the whole range of family got on a Zoom call. So we had <laughs> my mother and my stepfather in Florida, my brother in Montclair, New Jersey, and myself here in Brooklyn with my girlfriend. And um, it was actually the first time my girlfriend was meeting my mother and my stepdad was via this Zoom call. So it's funny how a birthday uh, a Zoom call, it's incredible what technology can do for us these days. And it was all about mutual respect and admiration for one another. And um, it really felt like a, a very profound experience even if it was just to say hi, you know, happy birthday, everybody came away feeling great. I love that. I love that because I think that when we, you know, when we think of these things, oh my God, you, you abandoned your sister. How could you? You're a monster. But then people <laughs> don't see the positive of like, because I was really hard on my sister, now we can come together on Zoom or come together at Thanksgiving and really love and have respect. And what that means is that, yes, you know, my sister or whoever has to kind of bite their tongue a little bit and not be as so cavalier and as free and they wait in the way they talk or they respect me, but that's going to create like more love at that Thanksgiving dinner table. Because when you come to Thanksgiving, I think this is what happens is that when you come to Thanksgiving, everyone thinks they're entitled to be at that table. Everyone thinks, well, you know, like I, I'm, I, I'm your uncle, I, I, or whatever. I'm entitled to sit here and I can spew whatever garbage it is that I want to and nobody can do anything. Whereas you would never in a million years do that at a friend's Thanksgiving dinner. If you were at a friend's Thanksgiving dinner, you would be, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that turkey was delicious. Thank you, thank you. Oh, so, so, so nice to be here. You would keep it on the down low, but I think that because it's family, you take for granted family. You really do, and um, just as a uh, a way of uh, defining how important that birthday call was on Tuesday, flashback years ago, I was in a family session, family therapy session, where it did not go well. Let's just put it that way, without going into detail. Nobody got hurt. No, <laughs> no fisticuffs. You know, yeah. uh, there was a thrown umbrella, but okay. Uh, you Umbrellas know, are cheap, you know. No, yeah, <laughs> but it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a chair or anything like that, and it it divided uh, the family for at least six months to a year. It was a really bad fight, altercation, and then so now to flash forward and to have this birthday call that we had, and because the kind of line in the sand was drawn that day, as much as it was painful. It was, a, it was a line in the sand that needed to be drawn. Yes. And um, it allowed eventually for that family relationship and dynamic to kind of reset itself. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, like with any labor, you'll always see the fruits. And I, I think that's like a way Ooh. of the, <laughs> I think, I think that's a way of thinking about it. Very last topic that we're going to hit upon. Yeah. And this is this idea of, 
I guess investment or capital, I guess, and this may, may this perhaps uh, applies more in the realm of friendships, okay? So let's say you've had a friend uh, for many years and this has been a really, 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 really good friend. You know, they, they got you a job when you didn't have a job. Bro, come sleep on my couch. You know, I got you, man, whatever. You know, here, here's a thousand bucks. Go get your, your life back in order, right? You've got this really awesome friend. He's been there for a number of years. And then he goes through a really dark patch and becomes a, a nastier person. Does his like previous service record entitle him to like a greater tolerance in your life? Or do you have to just make these decisions in the moment of like, no, you've been a jerk for a month now and like I'm done with you? Like that what you did? Or or do you or do we have or, or do we have some onus to kind of look at your service record? Probably the the latter category, you know, take into account the the positives that this person, positive qualities, traits, behaviors, actions that they might have shown in the past, and and not necessarily disown them for the the one action. Uh, obviously, it's different as to the gravity of that action. If they yeah right, if they steal you know twenty bucks from you, that's one thing. If they kill someone, you've got to report it to the police. Yes, know? of course. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's always a, a something to consider. But on the whole, I think you do take into account the, the service record, as, as you put it. I've had friends and um, I'm involved with something that has been very positive and beneficial in my life. And it really turned my life around actually to, to take this action for myself. And I come across people all the time that have a history of, of problems and past actions that were very negative and damaging. And yet they sit before me and they're changed people. You know, they're incredibly uh, responsible and accountable and giving great joy to the world. So it can, it can be that case that you're describing in reverse, you know, that somebody in the past was very questionable behavior and then now look at them, you know, they're doing great things. So if you had judged them in the past based on what they did there alone, you might've dis, you know, discredited all the good that they were going to bring into the world, if that makes any sense. I guess if someone who I did not know was being nasty to me in the present, I wouldn't give him a chance. Like that's just, you know, I, I'm a New Yorker. I'm pretty callous. <laughs> I'm pretty jaded. I'm like, yeah, you seem like a strange fellow but away with you. But here's, here's what I think happens with the good service record friends is that because they were so awesome to you at some previous juncture, you have that hope that it's like, okay, they're going to turn it around now. They're going to turn it around. They're going to be like their old self again. Because I think what happens is that they create like an image in your mind of what they could be because they once were that thing. And then that makes you more hopeful that they, they will eventually turn it around and become, you know, what they were like before or even better. Correct. Yeah. I think that's so accurate with the hope, right? Yeah. That they would maybe return to form uh, to their, their former positive selves. Now, if that same person repeats the same action <laughs> or where something where it's ongoing behavior and they're just uh, 
going south really quick, then, you know, it's time to kind of cut ties with that person, I, I'd say. But um, I think you give, give them the benefit of the doubt initially to, to try to turn things around. Yeah, as much as as much as possible. And I, I actually had I, I did touch upon this in a, in a previous podcast about separation at, le- at the very like if they're if they're a good friend and they have the service record you, and they are acting really nasty, you might it might just be wise. Like imagine there's a tornado going through Kansas. That doesn't mean I'm never going to return to Kansas. It just means I, I, I probably don't want to be in Kansas while that tornado is going on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I have uh, friends that are very dear to me and one person that I'm thinking of in particular right now. And it's just, he's been an incredible uh, inspiration for me and caused me to have extreme growth in the last several months. Hmm. And um, I don't know, I just have nothing to say, but, but positive things for this person. And uh, if I thought for a moment in your scenario where he maybe crossed me or did something damaging, I would I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to just turn my back on him because right. he, everything that he supplied me with has been so enriching. And, uh, you know, I would I would just give him that that second chance opportunity to right the wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's also I think that um, I, I was also speaking to this other gentleman who was like in New York, we're really big on this idea of loyalty, right? Like this is a huge, you know, it, it's a huge like thing of, of loyalty. And like, on one hand, I'm like, yes, 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 loyalty is important. But at the same time, there are there are, again, like, like, we go back to the, the lines in the sand, where you have now crossed a boundary where I no longer owe you any loyalty, no matter what you did for me in the past. Maybe, maybe you gave me a job. Maybe you picked me off the street when I was whatever. Like no matter how much you've done for me in the past, I no longer owe you loyalty as a result of some of the very, very horrendous actions that you have just recently uh, taken out on me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Again, reference this uh, uh, earlier about, if it if it happens to be ongoing repeated pattern or or just some offense that is just justified at all then it's just time to sever ties and and i would i would say do so with a a guilt-free conscience so it's it's an interesting point though because uh what is that action whatever it is xyz that the person has taken did they steal money did they steal your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Did they in some way, tr- you know, try to physically take something from you that didn't belong to them? Yeah. Are they squatting in your apartment? <laughs> <laughs> they can squat there for a little bit. Right? And then yeah. it, gets, it gets to a point where it's like, all right, buddy, time to move on. Um, yeah. I, I think I think the, 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 the word that the final takeaway here is guilt free. And I think that when when you sort of remove someone from your life permanently you should be able to do it there might be some temporary guilt but ultimately you have to know yourself and be like okay i'm not feeling guilty about this it's hurtful it's painful but i don't feel guilty about it i can sleep well at night knowing i've removed this person from my life because they deserve it uh dallas thank you so much for being on the show today aaron beautiful thanks for having me
anytime. This concludes the 43rd episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.